Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome and thank you for joining Delivery Heroes Q1 2022 Trading Update Conference Call. Throughout today's recorded call, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. After a short introduction by the management, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, you may press star followed by one on your touchtone telephone. Please press the star key followed by zero for operator assistance. I'd now like to turn the conference over to Christoph Bast, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Hello and good afternoon, everyone. We hope you are well and thank you for joining today's Q1 2022 Trading Update Conference Call. Um, we trust you have all received the press release and the presentation which we published this morning. As always, the documents are available on our website. We would like to remind you that this call is being webcast and a replay of the audio webcast will be available later today on our website. With me today, we have Niklas Oesbeck, CEO, and Emmanuel Thomasin, CFO of Delivery Hero, who will take us through the most relevant aspects of our Q1 performance and share further details on our outlook and the path to profitability. After that, we look forward to answering your questions. And now, let me hand over to you, Niklas. Thank you, and hey, everyone, and thanks for dialing into today's call. We've had a fantastic quarter in since, and looking forward to sharing this with you in this call. Before going into the numbers, let's reiterate some in-depth material around our cohorts and GMD targets. But starting with our vision, as you know, we are very focused on always delivering an amazing experience. We are obsessed by building the best service, and we believe we have a superior service in most of our markets. If we then go to the next slide, this becomes clear. Those who invest into us, they invest into the largest food platform in Asia, ex-China, the largest food platform in Middle East and Northern Africa, the largest food platform in Northern, Eastern, and Southern Europe, the largest food platform in South America, Expresso, as well as the largest quick commerce player globally. Uh, from that perspective, we believe we are the safest bet for those believing in food delivery and quick commerce. Going to the next slide, we like to reiterate the incredibly stable cohorts in over 50 markets with up to 20 years of history. This slide gives an aggregated view. In my opinion, this is the strongest argument for being an investor in the food delivery industry. We have updated numbers to now include also the Korea business. Starting with the left-hand side, every year we add another cohort and every cohort generates a higher GMV per year as uh, time passes by. If you look at the 2017 cohort in light red, you can see that the GMV spend of that cohort in year two was already 1.7 times the size of that year. In year three, it was 2.1 the size of the year one, etc. What you can see is that the newly acquired cores generate a higher GMV than the customers we acquired the year before. You can see that in 2020, we acquired an exceptional number of users, which also was partially driven by COVID. We are now back to a more normal environment and yet continue to experience a general improvement in cohort frequency and size 
every year. In the upper right hand side, you can also see how every new cohort is performing better than previous one. This is amazing and pretty unique for our industry. What I love the most though, is that the incredible straight lines of the cohorts, even slightly upwards, if you look very closely, uh, I would say. Those word about competition will get or should get comfort by looking into these charts carefully as lines wouldn't be this straight if people multi-homed or moved away every time they get a voucher. As you can see, the cohorts are incredibly stable. The stability of the court also means we have an enormous amount of long-term predictability. When you asked how we come to the 200 to 350 billion GMB in 2030, this is the underlying data. We know the development of the cohorts and we can predict acquisition levels reasonably well. On the bottom right part, you can also see how cohorts improve in frequency. Here again, you see the uptick during COVID, but it's consistently and fundamentally upwards. Also, I would like to add that the average number of orders per active customers of 4.9 uh, on a monthly basis is higher than any global peer that I've seen recording. Still, this level of orders per month is very low, and especially as we're launching new verticals and locations. Next slide gives you a better understanding of the constant improvement of order behavior of our customers. Existing cohorts have stronger loyalty and order more frequently over time. If you look at our 2016 cohort, they were ordering 2.4 times per month in the first year. In year six, this number has already increased to 6.3 per month. So a clear improvement over the years. What we also experienced is that the new cohorts especially exhibit a higher order frequency than previous cohort. This becomes visible if you look at the columns of the table. The 2016 cohort ordered 2.4 times per month during the first year, whereas in 2021 cohorts ordering 3.1 times a month. Based on this table, you can see how the business has a strong underlying growth ahead of itself as the course matures. As we set our 2030 GMB target of 200 to 350 billion, we base it on our course. However, the graph below that we show here is just a sanity check that there is enough potential. In order to reach 200 billion GMB, we would need to reach approximately 0.54 monthly orders per capita um, next eight years. Today, already seven markets have achieved this level. Top seven markets had an average of 1.4 monthly orders per capita last year. The top seven countries include markets from Asia, Middle East, and uh, Europe. Should add that none of these countries were at 0.54 only a couple of years ago. So um, they also keep developing. Before getting started with the financials of Q1, I also like to give everyone a view on the current COVID impact on the next slide. Here you can see our estimated quarterly impact from COVID pandemic on our 
our GMV growth. In 2020, we had a circa 5% tailwind on an annualized basis as per our own estimates. Some countries were positively impacted while others were shut down. In 2021, the year-on-year tailwind continued and added another circa 6% growth to our analyzed year-on-year, in particular the Middle East, as it had lockdown in 2020. In particular positive, um, of course, as, as mentioned, is Middle East, as we know, complete lockdown standing uh, as in 2020. In 2022, we expect very limited COVID tailwind. Um, meaning, and I hope so as well, I would say. But that also means that we lapsed 2021 positive effects, causing a circa 9% headwind. As you all remember, Q2 and Q3 were particularly strong for us in 2021. On the right-hand side, you'll find an estimate of normalized growth rates. The extraordinary high growth rates in 2020 and 2021 are not only due to COVID, uh, but can be explained by our hyper-growth strategy, including fast rollout of own delivery and significant push of affordability in Southeast Asia. During this year, we believe our COVID adjusted GMV will be more moderate, so between 33 and 36 percent in 2022, which is a reflection of the much larger size we have today versus the last few years. In absolute terms, though, we keep growing at record rates. Now let's move to Q1, key highlights. First part uh, is on the GMV. We had a very strong GMV and revenue development in all five segments. We definitely gained market share in all these places. We achieved this while generating record high contribution margins across the group, both before and after vouchers. We also managed strong top-line growth while continuing to work on various profitability levers. Minimum order value, dynamic pricing have been, and, and, and dynamic pricing have been introduced in 90% of our markets. We have optimized our partial targeting and made further progress on upselling. We have successfully also tested services, which we've rolled out in selected countries in coming months. I'm also very pleased to share that we reached break-even on adjusted EBITDA level in our Asia segment in March. While this is before allocation of group cost, I still believe this is a clear milestone given the heavy losses in the past. This happened ahead of plan, and we are now in a much stronger position to build on our leadership uh, position in the region. On top of that, we have introduced new pricing scheme for own delivery in South Korea, with a clear positive impact on unit economics ahead. This was done, I should say, end of March, I think 21st or 22nd of March for part of Seoul and actually in April for um, for the remaining part of the business. So this was not the reason for moving to EBITDA in the Asia segment, just to make that clear. Uh, but this will obviously create additional tailwind going forward. Um, 
And we have also seen promising first results from our subscription offering, Panda Pro in the APAC region. And I'll speak more about that and why that is a good tailwind both for growth as well as on profitability. Last but not least, we have strengthened our balance sheet position by securing additional financing totaling 1.4 billion euros, following in the placement of a 1 billion euro term loan. Um, our cash position stood at 3.5 billion at the end of 2021 on a performa basis. In addition, we arranged a RCF of 375 million euro which adds even further flexibility. Moving on, and I should say, Anna, we feel very confident with that level as we're now moving forward with increased improvement in cash flow month after month, quarter after quarter. Um, and we therefore think that we have a strong position um, with that cash balance. Um, we are no longer reporting orders, as this has become increasingly contradictory to our business objectives of increasing GMV and profitability. Historically, we focus a lot on driving awareness and usage. We have exceptional reach and is more about driving profitability or profitable growth. Our focus is therefore to turn loss-making orders into value orders or cut them all together. We have made this switch internally already three quarters ago, um, and uh, we still want to make sure that for transparency, we have provided information about basket size growth in markets where there has been a change. From, from there, anyone can back calculate our order growth. It's just that we don't want to measure ourselves against a KPI that goes against our focus to drive profitability. In terms of GMV, we had a very strong GMV development in Q1. We believe we had around 3% positive tailwind from COVID, but 2021 had an even higher COVID tailwind. So overall, a very strong quarter, but in general, we will have to push much harder to, or we have to keep pushing hard, as I said, to hit our growth targets, while EBITDA should be significantly easier. Revenue did even better in Q1. We totaled more than 2 billion euros in the quarter, resulting in revenue growth of 52%. Now let me hand over to Emmanuel for a deeper dive into our Q1 financials. Emmanuel. Yeah. Thank you, Nicholas, and good afternoon, everyone. Let me start with our performance of each of our business segments. Our platform business in Asia performed extremely well in Q1, reaching GMV of nearly 7 billion euro and segment revenue of 928 million euro, which corresponds to growth rate of 35 and 50% year on year, respectively. Part can be explained by the rollout of the basket size and delivery fee initiatives which push our AOV by more than 10% compared to Q1 2022. South Korea has made strong growth progress, while we also successfully faced other promotion campaign by late March in Seoul Metro and early April uh, nationwide uh, for Beaming One delivery service. Just our, as a reminder, 
um, as we offered uh, promotion pricing until recently, our unique economics for our own delivery were negative. This should now improve quickly. Uh, in Taiwan and Hong Kong, we successfully introduced our subscription service, Panda Pro, which results in higher order frequency, a larger basket size, but also increased their uh, customer loyalty and ultimately strengthened our leadership, our leading position. Last but not least, we are, have also reorganized our operations in Thailand and achieved gross profit after vultures in January. In Q2, we will launch Panda Pro and we will participate in the uh, government payment scheme. On slide 14, you will see the strong growth um, in Q1 in the MENA region. GMB reached 1.9 billion euros, a plus of 32% year on year at custom currency. Segment revenue came in just short of 500 million euros, corresponding to a 50% increase year on year at custom currency also. Within the segment, uh, Talabat benefits from healthy customer behavior and generates 37 GMV growth on a custom currency basis in Q1. And furthermore, the uh, advertising revenue at Talabat already reached 2.3% of GMV. Hunger Station achieved a high penetration of vendor-funded deals among their key accounts, which strengthened the leadership position in Saudi Arabia. The situation in Turkey remains uh, challenging, with additional headwinds from uh, bad weather like snowstorm and weaker macro environment in Q1, but also fierce competition. Over the coming months, we will migrate the MXPT to our Pandora tech platform, and this should improve the customer experience and also enable us to gain more traction as the new tech platform is significantly stronger than the current one. This means the user interface will be more customer-friendly and we will be able to offer new services like pickup, dining, or variety programs and become more targeted in terms of marketing. Now turning to uh, Europe on slide 15. GMB in Q1 total uh, 707 million euros, only a modest four years growth year on year. However, this is significantly influenced by the diversifications in the Balkans. On the like-to-like basis, excluding the Balkans uh, in Germany, GMB grew by 17% year on year, despite the lifting of COVID restrictions. Advertising revenue or NCR grew by 52% year-on-year and now stand at 2.1% of GMB compared to 1.6% in Q1 2021. Now I would like to briefly comment on Operation de Americas on slide 16. Here you can see that the business had another successful quarter, growing GMB by 33% year-on-year to 558 million euros, while segment revenue grew by 39% year-on-year to 149 million euros. We continue to optimize their unique economics in the region, which include uh, minimum order value, cross-selling, and delivery fees. And this propelled the average order value by 19% year-on-year to 11.1 euro and drove gross profit per order to a record high. Argentina, um, one of the largest countries uh, in the region, even reached break-even and adjusted the EBITDA level before central cost allocation. And we will continue to push for profitability and plan to roll out their service fee in Chile and Argentina in the coming months. On slide 17, you will find the steady progress of the integrated vertical segment. Both our GMV and segment revenue more than double in size 
year on year, reaching five, uh, 410 million and 374 million euros, respectively. As you constantly adjust and optimize our product assortment, the baskets the size fall by more than 22% in Q1 to 13.7 euros. Going forward, we will continue to invest in new DMARTs opening, although at a smaller scale than in the past years. Um, in Q1 2022, we launched our 48 new stores, which is significantly less than the 213 stores opened during Q4 2021. The last three quarters have been the peak of our investments in terms of openings, uh, impacting both CapEx and OPEX. And this will a clear strategy to build coverage and now drive our GMV pest store to drive margin improvement and allow the business as a whole to be more profitable. On slide 18, in addition to, to that, what I just mentioned, we also work on the profitability to our own delivery business. Uh, you can see here that the contribution margin before vouchers remain above 6%. In MENA, the contribution margin has improved slightly, while Europe has turned positive again since the closure of uh, Germany. Now, all four regional segments are showing a positive margin again, and we expect further improvement throughout the rest of the year. As you can see on slide 19, the fully loaded contribution margin after vouchers has reached a new record high and has turned positive for the whole four segments. We explained in the past that uh, we constantly work on reducing our voucher intensity. And as such, we are happy to announce that vouchers as a percentage of GMV have declined by another uh, 10 bips, uh, quarter on quarter, to 3.2% in Q1 2022. For the remainder of the year, we expect the level of vouchering to decline even further. In addition, I would like to take this opportunity to refer to our advertising revenue, or the so-called non-commission-based revenue, or NCR. Um, in, in Q1 2022, advertising revenue stood at 2% of GMV, up from 1.9% in Q4 2021, and 1.6% in Q1 2021. And all these numbers exclude uh, Buva still. These high margin revenues are excluded from the contribution margin, um, as you can see on this slide. So that's a very important element. Now on slide 20, uh, we provide an overview of our large investment portfolio in the uh, global food delivery space. As we have discussed, the strategic uh, rationale quite extensively in the past. Um, let's have a quick look at the valuation. So you can see that the, the value of the portfolio has slightly declined from 2.1 billion to 2 billion euro since last quarter. And this is primarily due to the uh, recent stock market turmoil and the impact um, this had on the valuation of our public assets. This investment portfolio will serve um, as addition, an additional uh, source of liquidity if and when desired. Um, for instance, we, we have uh, recently diversified a partial stake in RAPI for uh, worth $250 million, while continuing to hold a stake of around 5%. And furthermore, um, the portfolio consists of liquid assets uh, worth around 550 million euros. On slide 21, we present an overview of our pro forma cash position following the announcement of the 1.4 billion debt financing, including our revolver credit facility. At the end of 2021, we had cash and cash equivalent of 2.5 billion uh, euros, and adding the proceeds from the terminal we issued this month, uh, our pro forma cash stood at 3.5 billion euros at the end of last year. Uh, the terminal offering was met with strong demand in the US debt market and significantly diverse our funding source 
by setting a new source of long-term capital. And furthermore, we, we have agreed um, 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 a SEF or a revolver credit facility of 375 million with a group of our banks, which provide even more flexibility. Uh, against the, the background of for more than 3 billion in cash, a large investment portfolio that we can turn into additional cash if needed, and our plan to reach adjusted EBITDA breaking in 2023 on group level, we view our cash needs uh, as ample and covered and over our planning horizon. And now let me uh, hand back to Nicholas. Nicholas? Thank you, Manuel. Uh, we already shared some information on our DMART business a couple of weeks ago when we issued our term loan. However, as some of you may not have had opportunity to participate in these calls, we wanted to briefly touch on this topic again. We regard quick commerce as a massive long-term growth opportunity, which is highly complementary and synergetic to our platform business as outlined on slide uh, yeah, 24, I believe. First of all, the continued development of DMART will drive even more new customers towards all our business verticals with upselling opportunities between them. This will then drive order frequency and customer engagement. In addition, we can already see today the positive network effects. As soon as existing platform customers try our DMART service, they start to order food more frequently. As food and groceries will be delivered by the same rider, we can also leverage our existing food delivery fleet, which reduces the average delivery costs. With a higher network density, we can also reduce the delivery time. On the next slide, I'll take you through the most relevant unit economics of the business. This slide shows what happens to economics when we increase orders per store. Um, in those countries where we have reached over 500 daily orders per store, we start improving unit economics. Looking at the left-hand side, you can see that we then do less free delivery in markets where we have reached target order levels. We have also slightly longer delivery times. In a few comparative markets we operate, uh, we obviously deliver much faster than what you see here on this slide, but, uh, but, but you can see that we can adopt here. You can also see that we can offer a larger SKU set as the store turnover is faster. Now, more importantly, looking at the right-hand side, the product margin between, in this case, the best-in-class countries and DMARs overall is about the same. Both are still between 5 and 10% and, and below long-term targets. You can see that we change or charge slightly higher delivery fees as we optimize a bit less for growth when we have reached our target order level. You can also see that delivery costs are 4.6 percentage points lower as we stack more. This also means a slightly lower delivery times, as mentioned before. You then have picker costs, which are 4 percentage points lower as we have better utilization of store personal. Then we also have lower other costs like store manager. There's also less waste as turnaround times and SKU predictability is higher. When you add all this up, we achieve 8.9% positive growth, 
profit before vouchers versus negative 6.3% in the other markets. This is again why we need to invest to drive orders per store. This is also apparent when looking at voucher share, which is 2.3% versus 5.7%, resulting in an even larger bottom line difference. During 2022, we plan to drive more countries towards the 500 orders per uh, store. Um, and in our best stores, we are already at 1,000 daily orders per store. So 500 is by no means the, the maximum, but it is the level at which we make good profitability. Now let's have a closer look at the margin development of the best-in-class DMARs in the next slide. The business in these uh, countries is on virtual break-even. This was achieved through an increase on the average basket size of 21% year-on-year and a GMV per store of 33%. And I spoke about orders per store, but what is truly relevant is, of course, a GMV per store, or, uh, or both that you have a utilization of, of, of staff, but also that you drive, um, even more importantly, that you drive GMV. So with an increase of 33% year-on-year, you can see how... Um, um, we have improved our unit economics here. The main um, other driver is larger product assortment, which possibly also impact order frequency and drove basket size. In turn, higher order volumes result in better purchasing condition and higher product margins. Better unit economics and scale then led to significant improvements in adjusted EBITDA before vouchers, as mentioned. One important side note here, the best performing country within this bucket already generates an adjusted EBITDA margin before vouchers of more than 6%. So clearly within the 5 to 8% that we have in our food delivery business. And as mentioned here in the DMART, already one country has gotten there much faster than any food delivery um, country got there. Obviously also partially driven by the, or significantly driven by the scale that we already have. Coming on to the advertisement side, um, I'd like to highlight um, the advertisement revenue, or what we call NCR, non-commission revenue, but advertisement is a bit more um, accurate. As you already know, we have started to monetize our platform's audience through different ad products, which enable our restaurant partners to improve their visibility through some of the following products. First, uh, cost per click, or CPC. These are various premium listing options to increase restaurant visibility on the platform with an automatic renewal of monthly ad bookings. The vendor only pays if the customer clicks on the ad. The second product is Joker, a pop-up banner or visibility through a, a, a banner um, with a discount offers displayed to customers. Here the restaurant only pays when the customer places an order. This tool is highly focused towards new customer acquisition. When we have, uh, and, and also the value of this is both for consumer, they get a good deal, and for the restaurant, they get a new customer, and for us, we make more, uh, significantly more margin. 
Then we have various other products like offering restaurants the opportunity to highlight their certain dishes and, and other uh, add product features. So all in all, we believe there is really a huge earnings opportunity ahead of us outlined on the next slide. And what you can see here is that since 2019, advertisement revenues have more than tripled to 288 million euros in 2021. However, last year, ad revenue stood at only 1.7% of GMV, uh, and this did not even include Korea. In 2000, uh, or in Q1 2022, advertisement generated uh, 2.0% of GMV. We plan to reach 2.5% of GMV, uh, including South Korea, by 2024-2025. This would result in over 2 billion euro of almost 100% margin revenue. On the long or in the long term, we expect advertisement revenue to represent between 3 to 5% of GMV. Now on to the next slide where I'll share more details on subscription service, Panda Pro. We launched our subscription service, Panda Pro, in early 2021 in the APAC region. Since then, we have managed to acquire already more than 1 million subscribers in over 10 countries. Panda Pro customers pay a monthly subscription fee and in return benefit from selected free delivery. Discounts and other attractive deals, both in food delivery and quick commerce. These customers exhibit a significantly higher order frequency and have higher baskets. Customer uh, of uh, Panda Pro become more sticky as a large portion of the subscribers order food only through us. This makes subscription a great customer retention tool. During the recent months, we managed to convert more and more subscribers from monthly to half-year or even yearly subscription, as the service offers great value to customer. Subscription services are being rolled out globally. On the next slide, we illustrate the impact from Panda Pro on customer behavior. And I must say it has taken us a long time to optimize our subscription program, but we are now super happy with it. The challenge with it is to make sure it's attractive enough for users, but still generating similar economics on GMV basis and not only per customer. We now believe we have a good program in place. Um, and as you can see here, with that program, monthly order frequency of the customers increases by 59% after you signed the Panda Pro subscription. In addition, they tend to order larger baskets, which results in DMV boost per customer of 81%. So these customers add a lot of value to our platform. On the right-hand side of the chart, you can see how fast we gain traction with this service. At the beginning of the year, we started at close to zero, and within a short period of time, we achieved more than 1 million subscribers only in Asia and this excludes Korea. Going forward, we might also introduce subscriptions in other countries, or we actually we are introducing subscription. Uh, in most markets, there is some sort, but I think we are most happy with this 
program and it's uh, a mimic that, that we're implementing. Now, turning back to Emmanuel for the output section on, yes, Emmanuel. Thanks again, Niklas. So now coming to Outlook, um, Q1 performance on GMV was, uh, as you've seen, very strong. And we also end up ahead of our adjusted EBITDA compared to our budget. However, it, it's uh, too early to change any guidance and we might um, our previous guidance for 2022. So I said the, the business has done better than planned on EBITDA so that we are more confident than ever that we will be break even for the platform business, including uh, central cost allocation for the full year 2022. GMV is expecting to reach between 44 to 45 billion euros and revenues between 9.5 to 10.5 billion euros. Furthermore, we expect our platform business to generate positive adjusted EBITDA on a full year basis in 2022. Adding investments uh, up to uh, 525 million euros in integrated verticals, the adjusted EBITDA margin on group level is expected to range between minus one to minus 1.2 percent. At this point, um, I think I would like to re-emphasize once again that adjusted EBITDA is not an output factor for delivery error, but rather an input factor. You are the ones that uh, we decide on the targeted growth and associated investments. So therefore, uh, we feel a very high level of confidence with this guidance metric. Um, I would also like to remind you that in 2022, the vast majority of the negative adjusted EBITDA at the delivery error will come from less than 10% of the GMV. Let me also share some thoughts uh, with you on integrated verticals. We understand the, the DMART uh, unique economics very well and have a concrete plan for the business. So that means that we have visibility and control on the EBITDA burn here, and we're already profitable in some countries uh, so that we know how to get there. Given the, the market environment, and as we have uh, seen less competition that we're expecting in pre-commerce, and our DMART are improving the unique economics rapidly, we may end up spending less than the up to 525 million guide previously. But we will revert on this uh, when we have more visibility. When it comes to global, the company confirmed that the business has continued to perform very well despite significant GMV loss in Ukraine. Um, GMV uh, growth in Q1 was above budget and over 85% year on year. So consequently, the, the market share gains was, uh, have been dramatic as well. And despite challenges in Ukraine, the team remains confident to reach GMV if the full EBITDA guidance is utilized. However, they might also choose to invest slightly less than previous guided if markets remain constructed. For the first quarter, they perform slightly ahead of EBITDA budget as well. Um, a further encouraging remark on EBITDA is that Spain has turned profitable before group cost, and this shows uh, that the playbooks work. Finally, as a reminder, the, the transaction is not closed at this stage, and we expect to, uh, the closing to take place early Q3 2022. Now on slide 25, uh, 35, sorry, we also confirm our guidance of reaching adjusted EBITDA of between zero and 100 million euros for the platform business, including global, in Q4 2022 after group cost, as well as a positive adjusted EBITDA for the entire group, including global, in 2023. And uh, our confidence in this is very high, and our group profitability may even come a few months earlier, but we don't want to guard uh, towards this right now. 
So now on the next slide, and for uh, for for those that uh, we are wondering how the profitability will continue to develop after 2023, I will ask you to take a look at the on the slide uh, 36. Here we explain how we can achieve a long-term adjusted EBITDA margin uh, target to um, offer five to eight percent to GMB. As outlined in our previous goals, uh, we have many levers to reach this target. Uh, some of these are related to revenue, such as uh, increasing delivery fees, uh, minimum order value, introducing service fees and dynamic pricing, organic increase in commission rate, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of, uh, of room to reduce costs per order by better utilizing right of plate uh, through DMART uh, logistic as a service or by slightly increasing stacking or negotiating lower payment fees with our payment providers and better purchasing conditions with our suppliers. The combination of increasing uh, revenues and improved cost structure uh, is planned to drive gross profit from the 5.1% achieved in 2021 to a range of uh, 11 to 13 percent on the long term. And here I would like to mention that uh, without Uber, the gross margin would already be above uh, 7 percent. When it comes to marketing, we obviously have a lot of room to flex up and down. The larger the platform gets, the lower the customer acquisition cost. And given the size of the opportunity, we, we have remained the marketing cost at 3 percent of GMB, while our largest market uh, are already below 1.5% of GMB. The OPEX include the restaurant sales, which uh, also drops as platform gets larger, and we see uh, more sales signups. Also, a lot of CapEx will reduce as we drive operating leverage at scale. However, we kept all the old OPEX at 3%, as we expect technology and products will still remain a big portion. But also here, our best-in-class markets are already below 1.5%. And this combination of all these efforts will bring our long-term adjusted EBITDA margin to GMB uh, to the targeted 5 to 8% range. So we, we hope that you find this uh, deep dive helpful, and uh, we are now looking toward the, uh, for what you're answering your question. Let's stop. Great. So, um, quick remark uh, from my side here before we start with the Q&A. Um, as we would like to give every analyst the opportunity to ask a question, I would kindly ask you to limit your questions to one only. Now, let's kick it off for the Q&A. Operator, please go ahead. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will begin the question and answer session. Anyone who wishes to ask a question may press star followed by one on their touchtone telephone. If you wish to remove yourself from the question queue, you may press star followed by two. Again, in the interest of time, please limit yourself to one question only. If you're using speaker equipment today, please lift the handset before making your selections. Anyone who has a question may press star followed by one at this time. One moment for the first question, please. First question is from Giles Thorne from Jeff Breeze. Please go ahead. Thank you. My um, my question's on Korea, um, and it's it's probably one you could anticipate. Namely, I'd be interested to get some color on churn dynamics in both consumers and restaurants as the promotional pricing has ended. Um, I appreciate something you've touched on today and then the update on 4th of April, but um, given its importance to the overall full year outturn, 
would be useful to get the latest color. Uh, and then if you could weave into your answer what your own delivery unit economics are looking like today, uh, that would be helpful too. Thank you. Sure. Hey, thanks, Jill. Um, yeah, so Korea, um, there is no churning users because we haven't increased any fees for them, um, um, really. Um, and also for the restaurant side, we have, haven't seen any, and uh, very minimal, I would say, uh, churn there. So not more than we've seen an average month. Um, so therefore has been very good results. We also didn't expect churn, uh, so, but, but of course, it's much nicer to see that being the case. Um, overall, we believe that we have slightly increased our market shares lately, um, but um, yeah, we remain significantly larger than the number two and number three. In terms of the unit economics, um, we don't disclose exactly, but I think I have before they've increased the unit economics of delivery uh, with roughly one between 1.2 to 1.7 or 8 if I'm not right per order euro um, and uh, overall the unit economics is now uh, slightly higher if I'm not mistaken than for the uh, marketplace business Marketplace business is still the majority part of our business. Um, so, yeah, but, but still helpful. Okay, so some of the inevitable negative press we've seen coming out of Korea from your favorite English language newspaper that no. are calling for a boycott and, you know, no. election rather than delivery. That's, um, no, we, we haven't seen. I think I, I left the team, and I was meeting with the team just the other week or last week. Um, I, I think they referred to to exactly the same churn as you have in the restaurant industry of roughly three percent per month. But that is just because you have restaurant churn because they turned the business or changed ownership or other reason, and there was no no increase or at least material increase. So we, we have not seen that. And press, of course, if you have a few hundred thousand restaurants on the platform, and of course, if you increase price, and if 1% of those restaurants are unhappy, then you're speaking about three or a couple of thousand restaurants. Uh, and, and surely one or two of them would come to the media, but overall we think it's been know, very well perceived. We have also done it very carefully. We have a very strong connection to the restaurant association. They are very happy with with the change that we made. Uh, everyone understands that we cannot operate on 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 uh, promotional pricing forever. So we, we have seen absolutely no negative effect on this. If if anything, if I should add. We, we, as mentioned before, we had roughly 3% COVID positive impact, I would say, this year. Last year was a little bit more positive. So net effect is still negative impact from COVID, but there was a slight positive. And I would say Korea was one market where there was a slight positive impact in, in Q1. Um, so th th that, I would assume, will, will, uh, will, will, will go away, but, uh, but, but not because of orders. Or, or pricing. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks.
Next question is from the line of Rob Joyce from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks very much for taking the questions, and uh, thanks for that incremental detail there in the release. Um, just one from me, sort of maybe a sort of um, higher level one. Given the increased focus um, of your strategy, um, and particularly the guidance on profitability now, did you or would you consider extending the KPIs in the long-term incentive plan to operating metrics that are beyond revenue growth? So look, I think in yes. Yeah, so, so in general, we 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 have not drastically changed our plan. And our business has come to a site where profitability makes a lot of sense, and driving additional levers makes a lot of sense. So this was already our plan back on a few quarters ago. So we have not reacted to the market environment. Of course, it's 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 helpful, and 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 we might guiding a little bit more towards that, but. The, the plan was already to, to get to that profitability uh, during this year, uh, full year for the platform, um, uh, including uh, the integrated voting next year. So I don't think it has changed. I think overall, the incentive structure that we have uh, is very much in line with our shareholders, that we want to drive shareholder on um, um, a share price uh, in the long term. Um, and I think we're doing that. I, I'm generally not opposed to, to uh, being creative, but incentive structure, but I also find it a little bit careful because it's very easy for us to, to produce EBITDA. And if you want to produce one or two billion of EBITDA in 2022, I think we could do that. But it wouldn't be the right for the shareholders if we would pull all the levers we can, increase a little bit commission, uh, drive on a 50 cent more in, in, in pricing, um, in, so, so, so delivering five minutes or 10 minutes lower, that would save us another few hundred million. So of course we could easily drive that profitability and I would find it a little bit dangerous if, if management teams are incentivized to drive profitability because that can easily be achieved while driving long-term share uh, value is, is is harder and requires a little bit more diligence for the long term. So therefore, I think the current setup is probably the right one. Um, having said having said that, I I I would never think about I'm, I'm I'm so in the boat of having shares in this company, and as you all know, I bought significant amount of stock uh, also during the downturn now. Um, so I think we're all in the same boat. Uh, with or without an EBITDA incentive plan. Okay, thank you. Next question is from the line of Joseph Barnett Lamb from Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Excellent. Hi, team. There are lots of drivers of order headwinds within the industry. One is proactive focus on economics. And Nicholas, you alluded to a potential willingness to walk away from orders that were loss-making. How much of your 2021 order base could conceivably fall into that bucket? Just some discussion or any color you can give us on the impact on group orders from proactive steps to improve sure. profitability. Thank you. So I think, and it makes very little sense for the business to drive non-profitable orders. And yes, of course, sometimes you may accept one customer doing one order that you don't make money on, and we, we, we will continue to do that. But if you see a customer is continuously ordering 
with 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 vouchers or with incentives or very small baskets and long distances or uh, any other way that makes that order continuously loss making or that customer loss making then for us i think the only way to that makes sense is that you have to find a way to get that customer to either order with a high delivery fee or no voucher or lower delivery distances um, or you, you actually prefer that customers not to order at all. Um, and, uh, and, and that's a little bit more a trade-off. I think in general that's not material part of business because we, we, we have also not done that in the past that we just drive bad orders and that, that would have been silly. But I would say there is probably a possibility that you're increasing GMV with let's say 5% because you're, you're, you, some of them you push up to, to become value customers, and therefore you push EGMD a little bit, and you might lose, I don't know, so you might lose like 10, 5% of orders, you might boost GMV with 5%, and maybe even five and 10 or so. So that means effectively you might be in the order of magnitude 15 or so percent as you're making that transition. If you look at this time, and there is by no means that we, I'm happy to be very transparent on that. It's just that we don't think it makes sense to measure ourselves in orders. But if you look now, we, 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 we guided or, or we disclosed the increase in AOV for the segments where there was a change. So if you look at uh, Asia, GMV has been increased with roughly 10%. Um, in integrated verticals, it's more than 10, 20%. I think the same was with Latin America, around 20%. So, and, and, and so you can assume that the, the or making the back of the envelope basket size will have increased with 10 to 15 percent. So looking at growth, you will then also expect order growth to be subsequently or, or consequently 10 to 15 percent lower. Um, so I, I don't think that I don't think that deviation will be be. Uh, much larger than that, um, and I think, um, yeah, it, it's, it's probably a little bit more of a transition, but in order of magnitude, um, maybe five plus on DMV, ten plus uh, ten minus in orders. That's helpful. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks. Next question is from the line of Andrew Ross of Barclays. Please go ahead. Right. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, mine is a shorter-term question, just looking at slide eight and the helpful headwind you've provided from uh, the pandemic for the year. It looks like that headwind is more in Q2 than Q1. So can we just get a sense of how much you're growing in April and kind of roughly what we should expect in Q2? I'm thinking that more low 20s uh, GMV growth looks like a sensible assumption um, uh, based on that chart, but tell me about that sounds stupid. Thank you. Yeah, so, so as mentioned before, um, and I, I tried to be helpful, and the reason why we put this graph is to make sure that we don't set a guidance or that people miss, set miss expectations for the next quarter or, 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 or Q3, Q4. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to add for disclosure there. So we grew 30 or 31%, I think, this quarter. Um, I think there was probably a 3% uh, that, that, um, and it was a 3% impact, positive impact on COVID. As I said before, there was a, a 
even more negative impact, of course, from from uh, or positive impact in Q1 last year. So therefore, the net effect is that we probably had a 5% headwind. In the next quarter, we have uh, roughly, I, I, I'm judging here by the chart, so please please forgive me if, if there's 1% or 2% wrong, but there is roughly 10, 11, 12%, maybe 12% impact negatively year-on-year effect on Q2. So that would expect that you should have, as a, yeah, in the order of magnitude, it should be yeah, in, in maybe 20 in, in that um, so if, if you're 24 to 27 this year, Q1 was of course better. Q4 will be hopefully better, and others will be slightly lower than this, 24 to 27. And just I hope I hope this didn't confuse you more than it helped. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that definitely helped. Can I just confirm that you're actually seeing that in April, or is that something that you you may see in May and June? I think it's a little. April is a tricky month because we have a, um, we have Ramadan starting ten days earlier every year. So this month it was completely in April. Um, so, but but order growth was uh, maybe slightly higher than what what you said there. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, I I. I I, I think we can expect in May and June that that that, uh, know, that that they will be in that order of magnitude that you said. Thank you. Next question is from the line of Monique Pollard from City. Please go ahead. Oh, hi. Afternoon, everyone. Um, so one from me. It's on the. DMART, so really useful to get that EBITDA margin um, improvement over time for the best-in-class DMART. just wanted to understand, now that you have that formula that you know you can deliver the break-even profitability, do you think the path to getting there will be successively quicker for the other stores? And I'm thinking particularly about that given the product margin that you've highlighted for your best-in-class stores is actually slightly lower than the overall product margin that you have, and that seems to be sort of sequentially improving. Yeah, I think in general we have been very happy over the last couple of months with our development, as Emmanuel also mentioned in, in, in his review. So I think overall we probably corrected a little bit faster than expected on, on margins. I, and we don't want to change guidance here. We will do that when we feel that, that we have more visibility, but overall we feel very positively about it. There are a number of levers that we can, can pull. And as I said, product margin is, of course, one uh, that is still significantly lower when what it should be long-term. We could, of course, increase the margin easily by just increasing pricing, but that's not what we want to do. We increase margin by actually pushing procurement and, and, and purchasing power and that's the main drive of this 5 to 10%. Um, and that, of course, takes a little bit longer time. The reason why I think we're also performing a little bit better than plan on, on margins and, and, and EBITDA is that the growth has been a little bit higher than what we anticipated. And as I said before, we, we, we're pushing hard to get to that, uh, let's say, 500 orders per store, because then we can... When we get there, we can be a little bit less, a little bit less bars, a little bit less, uh, um, a, a little bit better on the pricing and, and so on, a little bit more stacking, etc. 
So um, as order level were a little bit higher than planned, also means that it moved a little bit faster on orders per store, or even more importantly is GMV per store. Um, and that was also another aspect that basket increased a little bit faster than what we anticipated as well. Um, so the combination there, but the, the, the growth in order per store as well as the, uh, the DMV has been positively helping our business. But but it's a little bit too early to to, to give any a new guidance or update guidance on this. Um, yeah. So I don't want to say that it comes faster or quicker. I I can say though that if as we the investments that we did last year was a lot about building new stores building new coverage areas. The investments this year is really to drive orders per store. And the more orders we drive to 500 or more orders, the more orders will be in the profitable segment. So that should mean that the profitability will improve every quarter. And the cash flow will improve even faster every quarter because we get better procurement capabilities and uh, purchasing powers and, and being able to move a positive working capital to a negative working capital. So EBITDA should improve every quarter, every month, every quarter um, from the Q3, Q4, Q1 level. So we were roughly the same levels there. And that should improve quarter by quarter and cash flow improving even faster. Okay, understood. Um, sorry, just to follow up, on the product margin though, the improvement in that product margin is that all driven by better procurement or is it some of it mixed, like you pushing more SKUs that have a better product margin with suppliers? Yeah, so we we, we do both. Um, and, and that's why it takes also a little bit of time because you, you change your SKU sets. It takes some time to get the right SKU set, knowing what customers want, what are the, 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 the items. And this is not on a global basis, but sometimes it can even be on a local basis. Um, uh, some product, of course, global, but but many of them local local favorites, and uh, and the more um, the more we know the right SKU set, the more we start building uh, ability to improve also margins on those product items, and we can start also testing a little bit on price sensitivity on different products. So. Milk might have a higher price sensitivity than a chocolate bar, as an example. And the more with data we have, the better we can actually assess that price sensitivity by SKU. And of course, if you have a three to six thousand SKUs, that that also takes a little bit of time to optimize to perfection. So I think a significant improvement there, or gradual improvement there. Uh, the other one is procurement, because the more orders per store you have, and the better procurement capabilities you have, because for someone to supply your store on a on a daily basis is not very attractive for a supplier if if we don't have enough orders or if it's just a few items. Um, so the more items we sell on a store, the more possibility we have to improve that. Additionally, we're building distribution centers to even further improve our procurement capabilities. So it becomes cheaper for our suppliers to distribute to one place and then we distribute to our stores. And that way, we can significantly improve our, our procurement capabilities to, to be more in line with uh, a retailer. And I would say currently, we are, our procurement capability is still somewhere between 6 and 9%, I would say, worse than, than, 
a, a wholesaler or a retailer, a strong retailer, and that shows us that there is, we still have more than 5% margin to improve just on the procurement side. Um, yeah. Thank you. That has been helpful. a little bit about. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Next question is from the line of Mark Stiebel from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi everyone. Uh, if we have only one question, only uh, one question it is. It's basically, yeah, in a nutshell, what you were saying, you were, you were increasing service fees in some of your markets. Overall, maybe with the exception of, of Turkey, of course, would you say in your number one markets, market shares are at least stable or, or even marginally increasing? Is that is that really a, a right bottom line of, of previous comments? Yeah, I would say that there are three markets out of 72, if I include global. Um, there are three markets where we have lost markets. Uh, sorry, five. Probably five markets out of 72 that have lost market share. And out of the remaining, um, the main the remaining market, I would say that we have gained market shares in most of them, and some of them have been stable market share. But um, we 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 have uh, Turkey is one market where we have lost market share. I think people think that we lost market share in in Saudi Arabia. I don't think that is the case. If you look at the last 12 months. Um, I, I even believe that we've marginally increased market shares over the last 12 months. Um, but um, then there are a, a couple of other markets. I, I don't want to go into detail, but a couple of smaller markets where we have lost a little bit of market share. Um, okay. But, but the majority have been increasing and some of them have been stable, I would say. Yeah. And just as a follow-up, you feel that obviously your, your measures, again, increasing service fees is – Something you can do kind of without expecting that the the, the competitors in in those markets have to follow. Now you feel like you can push in, those through without losing market share. Yeah, I think in general the the market has become very rational. Uh, everyone wants to increase service fee. Everyone wants to add delivery fee. Everyone wants to save a little bit. I don't know. This goes for everyone. This this is true for everyone. This is true for coupon, that's true for grab, that's true for um, uh, just eat, that's true for uh, whatever other comparative app, uh, Uber, we compete in two or three markets as well. That's true for everyone. So I, 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 I think in some places they have been faster. In most markets, they have been faster implementing service fee. In some markets, we might be ahead, but I would expect that the comparative follow through. If they don't, then we might might prioritize other markets for it. So um, we, we will be, be um, rational, but of course we will also monitor what a comparator does. And if we feel like um, they, they try to take advantage of it, then we, we will adopt and adjust and, and move it in other markets. And there are enough markets for us where we can do it in. We don't we don't plan or budget on doing this in 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 all markets. And the fact is that we don't even plan to do it or budget for it in any markets. Anything we do is actually incremental to our EBITDA. Um, so we have no we have no must of implementing service fees, and we will do it where we feel like competition is constructed. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks, Marcus. 
Next question comes from the line of Miriam Josiah from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Great, thanks for taking my question. It's just on the own delivery contribution margin. Uh, if I look at the chart, it seems to be sort of broadly stable, perhaps ex Europe. Um, so, how should we think about the improvement uh, going forward? Is most of that going to come from service, service fees, or what are the sort of key uh, levers there for the rest of the year? Thanks. I think there are many levers, and service fees is one, but we also long distance delivery fees. Uh, and we have on the voucher side being more targeted reducing, getting better, the AI part of, of, of vouchering, making sure that there is no one who can order multiple times with it, or um, any fraud protection you have there, uh, or anything else that, that would be know, also improve margin. There is definitely a possibility for further stacking. Uh, we continuously do that uh, to improve the cost side of things. Um, you you may have a little bit on commission uh, work because we we sign up more restaurants and as you sign up more restaurants they go in on on, on slightly higher commissions so therefore there is a gradual continuous improvement. There was for a while a slight reduction because we added some key accounts, but uh, now those key accounts are are on board and we add more uh, independent restaurants and therefore. The, the average will, will gradually also then move up, especially since there's a churn in the restaurant industry. Um, so so there's, there are so many levers. I could continue probably for another few minutes. Uh, I wouldn't say that and a service fee is not the reason for what has gone up in the past, and it will not be the reason for going forward. But of course, it's very helpful um, when it does or when we do. Thank an you. Additional, just, additional bonus, putting this way. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. And just as a follow-up, what's the percentage of orders that you batch today, or, or where do you think that can get to? Oh, um, I don't have the latest numbers. I don't want to say something wrong here. Uh, I, I, I have a number from a few quarters ago. I, I, I apologize for this, but it, it's still low. And we deliver on average in something like 23 or 24 minutes, um, I believe. Uh, th there's a little bit different market market mix here, but but in order of magnitude, so we deliver very fast, faster than I think anyone else does. Um, we still manage to do a, some proportion of um, stacking. Um, I, I would say it's, it's low two digits. Um, where can it go long-term? Well, the, the more density we build and the more we grow and, and uh, you, you you can probably get to a, a uh, hopefully a, uh, maybe a 50 plus and uh, if you look at Meituan and others they they they, they stack probably more than 50 percent and the stacking is not one order it might even be 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 uh, two or three extra orders so um, I, I, I don't dare to say anything here, but I think it's quite substantial amount of stacking that can be done if you just allow yourself to be a couple of minutes lower on delivery. Great, that's helpful. Thank you. Thanks. Might I kindly remind everyone to please stick to one question at a time. The next question is from the line of Andrew Gwynn from BNP Paribas Exane. Please go ahead. 
Hi there. Yep, I was going to ask on Twitter actually, but I'm, I'm going to come back to the guidance. Um, obviously, the message here is things are going pretty well and indeed ahead of uh, the guidance. So, so why not upgrade? Thank you. Manu? Yeah, no, uh, fair point. Um, you know, we don't want your upgrade because basically this is very early in the year. Uh, we see very good development, as I mentioned before. So this is for our point of view too early to upgrade the guidance. We did so for um, the integrated vertical. Um, and as was also mentioned in my uh, statement before, also there, uh, we moved from up to 525 million. We've seen that the development and the, um, the, the development of the KPIs and the fact that we are um, slightly reduced numbers of, uh, of opening of DMARCs, we see that you know, there's room for improvement, but this is quite too early the year to, to confirm. So um, that's the reason why. Um, but we had a very good first quarter, uh, all in GMV, in revenues, but also in that was. Anyone who knows me and knows Emmanuel, there, there are no one who hates more than to disappoint. Um, and, and yeah, it, 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 it turns my style. I never want to disappoint. And, and, and we, we are probably both a little bit yeah, conservative and also what we tend to want to have a little bit flexibility. I know maybe that's not the time to, to, to do that, but we don't know. We, we don't know what the future tells. Right now, everyone is constructive. Right now, the, the market is looking for, for profitability. Uh, right now, every company is, is, is doing that. But who knows what happens in, in one, two, three, four, whatever quarters. And we don't want to be sitting in a position where we have to optimize the business in a way that we don't think is the right way. And therefore, we generally also always keep a certain amount of flexibility and, and, and so on to respond if need be. And uh, if markets remain such as they are, then, then maybe there is, there is some, some room. But, but uh, we're still in, on in April. So maybe we, yeah, we, we, we like to make sure that we feel 100% certain that we can, yeah, before changing any guidance, we don't want to be 100% sure or even more so that we can. Maybe if I can add a personal note, the last two years have been quite uh, tremendous in terms of um, uh, new events taking place. Um, um, you know, we talk about uh, Corona and that's why, you know, I think it's fair to be um, prudent. We had a very good start, but I think um, we should be prudent. And that's, as Nicola said, this is probably also our DNA. Um, and but that's why you know we mentioned it today. But we didn't feel like you know we have our, we have to be prudent as we start. We are just at the beginning of the year, looking at what happened the last two and a half years. Okay, that's all very fair. Is it substantially better or subtly better? I think what the manual said is probably true. Like I think we were 23 million ahead of budget in Q1 um, on EBITDA. Uh, I think on orders we are we are on, on target, on plan, and then on EBITDA is 23 million ahead. If you're going to be 23 million ahead every quarter, is that 23 million going to grow and to more? Or are we going to use that 23 million because there are comparative pressure or other things? I don't know. And that's why we're, we're keeping the guidance as this. Um, and, and yeah. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thanks. Next question is from the line of 
Sylvia Cuneo from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Thanks for taking my question. I have a high-level one on the market. Can you please share some thoughts about how you're seeing user demand evolving as bills start increasing due to inflation? Do you see the risk of lower demand as ordering food delivery becomes more expensive somewhat with service fees, delivery fees, etc.? That could partly explain the lack of guidance upgrades today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. I think in general, if you look at the, the growth that we're having, I, I, I think it's still very strong. And, and overall, we wouldn't have that strong growth if our our cohorts or anything would be weak. And I think so. Therefore, we we remain having very strong cohorts. Um, there are and 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 GMV growth and, and even order growth kind of signals that especially if you make it adjusted for kind of COVID and lapsing the COVID impact of last year. Um, I I don't think there is a lower demand. If so, we would have already seen it. Um, uh, the, the only lower demand is that we're lapsing and a, a year that was very good. So if you look at Europe, it grew 70% on a like-for-like basis. I think Deliveroo grew with something similar or, or maybe slightly less, I think just eat a little bit less too. That is generally a little bit less than what we would normally have expected. But again, we had a very strong COVID tailwind last year. So I think the growth is still very strong, even in, in places like Europe, where it was the weakest of, of, of all. Um, so no, we, 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 we don't see a, a change. Um, and uh, the, the business, the cohorts, everything is predict- so predictable, it's so straight that I, I could be pretty high certain to tell the number of or the number of the amount of GMV this year, next year, the year after, the year after that, and the year after that. Um, assuming there is no COVID that temporarily increase or decrease orders, um, but um, yeah, I have and maybe on inflation, because we had countries with high inflation before. Um, if you look at Argentina, uh, hyperinflation. Uh, also, we've seen the situation in Turkey. Um, and what we saw on the food business um, is that basically, uh, yes, in fact, maybe the overall uh, behavior of the consumer, but on the food business, uh, very lightly, uh, if any, because basically um, the, the transaction value for, for a food transaction is not as important as you will buy for other goods. I will think here about the, for buying TV or um, other goods. So I think the experience that we've made so far um, is that inflation or hyperinflation even has some impact on, on the macroeconomic. But for our business, um, the, the restaurant is passing um, the inflation or the increase of the price to the consumer. Uh, we take the fee. Uh, and basically, um, people have to eat uh, and continue to do so, uh, inflation or not. So, but it remains to be seen. This is another new view that we are facing. That's why we remain cautious. But so far, we didn't see any impact on that specific point, inflation. Adding there, um, inflation is generally more in our benefit because we charge on, on the food value while our costs are not increasing as fast as, as probably if the food cost is increasing. Another question is, is demand going to be lower if, if generally there is increased uh, cost for consumers? 
Emmanuel mentioned a couple of scenarios, but but of course those markets have been used to to inflation, hyperinflation for a long time. I give you another example. Take Greece during the crisis. The the country went through, it was not inflation, but the country went through an enormous amount of unemployment rate. The country went bankrupt and, and our orders have never been stronger in Greece than it was during that time. People stopped going out to restaurants and start ordering because it's still cheaper to order in than going out. Uh, that's the only explanation we have. So even in, in, in such a disaster scenario, um, I think yeah, you've, you've seen that food delivery is generally very strong and counter-cyclical in that sense. Okay, thanks for confirming. Thanks. Next question is from the line of Shreeder Mahamkali from UBS. Please go ahead. Yeah, yeah, good afternoon. Well, thanks for taking my question. But Nicholas, probably start with an observation or maybe a bit of feedback, stating the obvious, I guess, but also not looking to create a debate on this call. But most of us were surprised that the order disclosure was stopped. Fully understand some of the rationale you've outlined already, and but it's fair to say that most of us struggle with it, but that's just a bit of a feedback. But my question is on DMART, please. Um, the top seven countries versus all of the 42, um, I'm curious if you can explore a little bit more. Is there anything specific about the nature of these seven markets that you're able to get up to 540 orders per day? How long has it taken to get there? Um, and I guess more importantly, how much closer do you think you could get to for the entire segment per orders yeah. per day by the end of the year? And what's the sort of path there? Is it end of this year, end of next year? How do you see that path? Right. Thank you. So I know, maybe still a, a remark, and, and, and I'd be, we, we were a little bit surprised um, that it would be a big thing because we have over the last few quarters kind of reduced the importance of, of, of orders uh, we also excluded in, in, in some of the graphs in the past, in the past quarter, um, mainly because we don't really look at it ourselves and we actually censor the opposite incentive what we actually want to do, which is to drive profitability and profitable orders. Um, we, we have no problems with in, 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 as I said, in, in that people know our order growth and we, we say average baskets in, in a couple of segments or in three segments where it was changed. So therefore everyone can back calculate order growth. Uh, it, it, it was, as I said, um, yeah, let's say 10, 15% lower than on GMV, uh, as baskets increased. Um, in terms of DMART, so differences, I would say the, 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 there is a slight difference in age of this. But there is also slight differences in number of customers that uh, lives in those areas. Um, so there is a little bit more density there. So as you move out of density, there is a slightly less. Having said that, the growth of those that are outside of that, and also as we built, we, we kind of split certain stores into two stores to cover a slightly larger area, and that's one. So, so, so therefore, there has been. Uh, over time then a little bit reduced um, uh, customer density there, but the growth on orders are significant. So it's just that it takes a little bit longer maybe to drive it there, but but it's clearly happening. Um, other than that, and we you know actually 
you, you've seen that the, 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 the prices are not higher, the margins are not higher. It's just that we decide to do a little bit more promotions to get orders up. And we have also not the picker uh, utilization, store manager utilization and so on. Uh, but other than that, um, no. And, and on the overall and I should add, the, thank, and, and, and thank God I should add, we have a lot of customers already. We don't have to acquire them very expensively. Of course, there's a slight cost of getting customers to be multi-vertical, but at least we don't have to go out and do advertisement. Uh, that has already happened in the past, and that's why it's also very synergetic to our business. Um, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I was just following up on like, what's the path? How do you, how long do you think would it take you to to get the portfolio of stores to closer to five? I, Is it twelve months, twenty-four I, months? I, I I don't want to give now an extra guidance that that that, but but if you look at the 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 growth of our integrated vertical segment, of course there will also be growth in in the places where we already have high utilization. We might have to even increase number of stores. In this case, increase number of stores to 48 stores in this quarter. Uh, let's assume there will be something similar in the next couple of quarters. But you see that the growth continues to grow with uh, the, the per quarter with, uh, uh, with, with 60 or so um, million in GMV. Um, yeah, so it's so based on the slide. You can see how the growth is trajectory, and you can assume that the new store opening is probably more in in, in, in line with Q1 than what it was in Q4, and Q3, Q4. So that should hopefully give you some guidance on where the average order per store will move. Thank you. Or average GMV per store. Thanks. Next question is from the line of Jurgen Kolb from Kepler Chevro. Please go ahead. Thank you very much. Uh, just a just a brief one on on the order uh, data that you will not release. Maybe you could on a on a quarterly basis then uh, indeed release um, average basket sizes per per region as a you know so that there's the quarterly trading statement at least has a little bit more 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 regular. Uh, data that you're that you're um, showing to the market, which probably then includes also the the idea that you have to go more after GMV and 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 be more profitable. Just as a as a as a as a suggestion. Um, the question really on on DMART again, page 26. When you say the best performing country already generates an EBITDA GMV margin of more than six percent, I was wondering if you could share maybe a little bit more more details about this this. Specific market was it really the first one that opened, um, or is there any specific that you would call out um, of this country which uh, just maybe had a positive, better, right. you know, impact uh, than the others? Right. So it's not the first door to open. The first door opened in Turkey, and, and of course Turkey is the only market where we have true uh, strong competition. Petition and therefore that is not the market where we are making the best in class. Um, all the other markets there is very limited uh, offering from from competitors, if, if not none. Um, so 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 uh, so there was one of 
I know, the, the, the good markets are the ones that are profitable are a little bit earlier stage in that sense. Um, the main difference is actually not in for that country in, in particular. It's not that the margin is high. It's not that the delivery fee is exceptionally high. It's not that the cost is exceptionally low. Uh, it's, it's, it's that have a lot of orders per store. Uh, the order density per store is, is high, still increasing, but it's, it's high. And we don't have to promote it anymore because the awareness in that neighborhood or sorry, in that say, country is, is, uh, is a little bit, is, is there. So, so there's less of, I don't know, there's less of kind of vouchers, uh, reduced delivery fee. There is probably a little bit less of this. 10 minutes type of delivery promise, um, but but there's nothing else there. there, there and I, I, all markets will get there. Uh, I, I don't see a reason why not all markets will get there. The question is more, what uh, is is this a, a a service that everyone can have access to today, or is it more of a premium service um, that that we offer? Um, because we we can there the, the needs to be either a, a slightly higher margin than the store or a, a some delivery fee in order to to make the economics that we, we target. So um, there, yeah, and I think in most markets this is a mainstream product, but of course in some low-cost countries this could be more of a premium service, and, and therefore. Uh, a little bit less reach, at least for the next five or ten years. Um, yeah, so, so, so the question is not if it's going to be profitable or not. It's going to be profitable and probably more profitable than our food business. It's, it's more how big is it getting. Very good. Thank you so and much. And thanks for the feedback, by the way. It's, it's, uh, so, um, yeah, we, we are way more open to, to, to think about baskets because basket, increasing baskets makes sense. Increase in orders is is actually against what we're trying to do here. But thanks for the yes. feedback. All right, thank you. Next question is from the line of Andrew Porsches from HSBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi guys. Um, I guess just echoing those comments around sort of the order disclosure, it would be. I, I guess I can understand why you've changed the way that you run the business and, and understand the reasons for that, but at the same time, investors can sort of do the work and see uh, the improvements you're making, even if you continue to give us ordered numbers. So it would be helpful to continue to get them. I don't see what you gain from taking them away. Uh, in terms of the question, I, I, I was really sort of trying to drill down on some of those seven best-in-class in DMARC countries, and could you give us a little bit more color there on, on the profile of those markets? I'm just wondering, you know, are they markets where naturally you'd get sort of higher average basket and a, a little bit lower cost and, and maybe they're, they're sort of um, not economics that every market can get to. Are they you know, more MENA focused, a bit more Asia focused? I don't know, but if you give us more color, that would be helpful. Uh, and then perhaps if you could just talk a little bit about the operations. Well, are, are you, do you still get, di what, do you get direct supply from suppliers or do you still have to deal with wholesalers? Uh, yeah, no, there, there's, as I alluded to before, there is not that they, they have better margins or that the delivery fee, as you can see here, is a substantial different. The delivery cost is low. It is a slightly lower delivery cost, but that is more because we deliver slightly 
uh, slower and a little bit more stacking. Um, the difference is really, and as I said, that yeah, we, we can have 1% higher delivery fee. Um, since we have a little bit more volume, we can have a little bit more advertisement. We can have a little bit lower delivery cost because we can deliver slower, but a little bit more stacking. More importantly, we have 4% difference because bigger cost because you get double number of orders on the same number of staff. So, 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 so that is the difference there. That's why that is half, half the difference. Same with other costs, which mostly includes uh, things like shrinkage. Um, where we, we don't have enough product items and so on. So th those are the, the, the main differences. Um, and are um, the questions, sorry? Yeah, that's what's on direct procurement. I mean, yes. if you can access directly the suppliers or not. And mm. I mean, I can start to answer if you want. And you can, Please. It, it really depends on the volumes of uh, and, the, and the countries. Um, what we see is that we have more and more inbound calls. So basically, large names, reputation brands that are calling us to get in touch with us to negotiate or to see how to partnership. So yes, there are more inbound calls that at the beginning of the offer as we started this industry, but there are also regions where you do have to reach a very big volumes in order to be directly in contact with the with the suppliers. So this is not one rule for 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 the market or for the globally. Um, this is much more regionalized, and sometimes you do have to to get to a very high level in order to get directly in contact with the suppliers. But as I said, there are more and more inbound calls, and there are meetings taking place also, like in Berlin, to negotiate or to see how to collaborate directly with the big brands. Yeah. And I would say. We, we we do most of the sourcing ourselves. We have discussed with partners who have bigger volumes than us, who have massive retail distribution and bigger volume. They are willing to 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 find deals with us that we will use their procurement capabilities. But of course, then we are limited to to their inventory, or at least we need to to buy more than 80% or so from their inventory, um, and and only have 20% kind of unique uh, inventory. When we do that, it would be a clear benefit on price. That would save us somewhere between six and nine percent instantly from today to tomorrow improvement in procurement capabilities um, in the cases where we have seen this. Maybe not all markets, but at least in those markets that we have had those discussions. But of course, it limits us a little bit in, in our flexibility. I should also add that the six percent gross uh, or, or EBITDA margin country that we mentioned here and the the best-in-class seven countries, which are already um, uh, significant gross profit contributing uh, in line with our food business, this is before advertise or like before any substantial advertisement uh, revenue. We believe still that the advertisement revenue for this business is more between five and eight percent. Our comparators are, or one of our comparators, at least in this space, already claimed to be at eight percent. So you have an additional uh, 5% on, on that margin. Also, the, the, the product margin is 25% as is shown here. We do believe that it can be, that we can find ways of improving that to 5 to 10% as well. So you have essentially an improvement of 10 to 15% on the margin, bottom line, that can be improved over time by procurement as well as uh, advertisement uh, revenue. So coming back to the role, this is why we are 
so overly enthusiastic about this industry and why we think it makes so much sense for our business to do it. Um, we, we understand that now we have built out the reach and coverage. We don't have to, to, to go wild on, on investment into more stores until we have proven the concept. Now it's more about making sure that we get the number of orders per store such so we can also prove to you and, and the, the, the rest of the world that we are incredibly good in this and it makes a lot of sense for our business. And, and once we get there, and this will be also highly profit contributing. The business model itself is, in my view, at least as good as the food delivery business. If not better, uh, there are even more margins and more levers to pull here than the, and, and the rest. So, yes, I, I, I hope, uh, and of course, uh, I'll be judged by it. I hope this is very similar to the, the logistic business a few years ago. No one has taken as much negative feedback and anger as when we start pushing our own delivery earlier and before our competitors because it was diluted to our profitability. Uh, we still did it because we thought it was the right thing for the long term. The same with the, this business model. We think it's right for the long term. It's not very long term either until we're getting there. And and, and I hope I'm, I'm, I'm right. Anna, you, 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 you. And I, you, you can judge by the results, and I hope we can prove this uh, sooner rather than later. That's really interesting, Carla. Thanks. What do you think Thanks. determines whether it's a premium niche business or uh, or something much bigger? Yeah, I think in in most markets it's probably not. I think in some markets it's probably a little bit more of a niche business. In those markets, we also have the store concept where we don't have to build the stores. We have something like 100,000 stores today or vendors today. Uh, so Anna, we, 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 we have a, a good um, coverage of, of both grocery as well as other retail items uh, in, in, in our platform. But since we think grocery is so important, we want to offer the best service. We think this is the best service and it cuts a lot of cost uh, as well. Uh, but it could be that in some markets it's more of a premium service. Um, in most markets, probably more a mainstream. But but it will take a long time. The same with food. And the reason why we've been growing every year for the last, uh, we have some brands being for 20 years and has not stopped growing, is because the cohort is stable. That means every month or every quarter there is growth in our business. And that will happen next year. That will happen year after. We have a year after. It will not stop. The cords are what they are, and that's why there's a constant growth in this business. Anything else is that you're executing poorly, or there is a reverse of pandemic or something else. But, but if you execute okay, there will be a constant growth of the business for, for 10, 20 years. And, and food, I know people ordered food also 20, 30 years ago via phone, and it, it's taken us this long, even in U.S. It's taken U.S., a market that is highly online affine, 20 years of food delivery and still DoorDash, Uber, Grub, or at least two of them are actually growing, um, um, if, if not three, um, despite being around for so long. And they will still be growing in 10 years. It is a slow adoption and change of living and behavior that has taken this long. Anyone believing that there is from today to tomorrow, everyone will order groceries online or order quick commerce instantly, they will be very wrong. 
this will still grow very fast in 20 years from now. Um, uh, hopefully faster growth than food delivery, but it, 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 it takes time to build the behavioral change. And, and that's why it might also be a little bit niche for the next, next years, but it's going to be a mainstream in the long term. Thank you. Next question is from the line of Sarah Simon from Berenberg. Please go ahead. Um, yes, Nicholas, I've just got one question. Um, I'm only allowed one question. Uh, it is that basically you talked earlier about not having to acquire the customers for the grocery business. So can you give us an idea of what percentage of your food delivery customers are ordering through quick, your quick commerce business today? And maybe you've got an example of um, your best-in-class market and then across the average uh, in the countries, obviously, where you've got quick commerce. That would be helpful. Thanks. I don't want to give too much this new disclosure, but, 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 and then I also don't have the exact number, but in order of magnitude, it, it's, it's, uh, on a 20 to, on a 20 in some cases where we've been around, where food has been around shorter and, and quick commerce has been around longer. Um, it, it, it's even in the 30. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Perfect. Thank you. So that was the last question, Nicholas. Would you like to close with uh, some final remarks? Cool. Um, well, thank you, everyone, for attending the call. I know it was very long. I'm sorry for that, but we, we felt it was important to answer all your questions, and we're happy to follow up with further questions. Um, we know it's, it's very challenging times. Uh, we try to do our best by, by showing transparency on cohorts and uh, use of behaviors and DMARs and subscription and, and ad tech and all of that as much as we can. We believe we have a fantastic business. I hope that the market will realize that too. Um, and I think we're in a great direction and, and I hope it will be a good year. Um, and thanks for your support and listening today. Thank you, Thank you all for attending. Operator. You may now close the call. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the conference is now concluded, and you may disconnect your telephone. Thank you for joining, and have a pleasant day. Goodbye.